Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. In this morning's show, we did two hours getting through John 3, chapter 3, and uh, of course, that led to me creating a webpage called The Real Jesus, and uh, of course, I already had a page about being born again, but I just uh, spent the last... 15 minutes adding to that page tremendously because of the study in John, because it's John 3 that they talk about being born again. You know, Jesus answered and said unto him, talking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus thought, you know, how, how can I be born again? And of course, we, we talked about all that and and then Jesus goes on to say, verily, verily, which is, you know, it's kind of a idiomatic expression, you know, like, this is true, this is true. He's doubly saying it. This is really, really true, you know. And uh, he's saying that uh, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And, of course, a lot of people think being born of water means being baptized. And actually, being born of water is what Nicodemus was talking about to begin with. That's the natural birth. When you're naturally born, the water breaks and you come out. And uh, I mean, some kids have been born and they're still in the sack. They're still in the water and you have to break the sack in order to get them out. And uh, then the water goes spilling off everywhere. Uh, I've I've delivered uh, thousands of lambs and calves over the years, and we have actually had some born completely in the sack. I even had a horse born in a sack once. It came out, (laughs) it was still in the sack, and you had to break the sack in order for the water to go shooting everywhere, and then the the young colt started to breathe. But um, actually, that was a young little filly, and uh, she's out in the corral right now, so, so she's still with us. Although she's some 20-some years old now. But uh, the uh, the reality is, is that what people do is they read John 3 and uh, they read it out of context. And there's several places in John 3 that they take out of context and create whole doctrines with this whole born-again doctrine. Now, it is true that you have to be born of the Spirit or you cannot see nor enter into the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is within you, so yeah, it's the Spirit that giveth life. It's not studying the Bible. It's not reading Scripture every day. It's not going to church. It's not singing songs. It's the entry of the Holy Spirit into you and you acting upon what the Holy Spirit is showing you. And this is an individual journey. But it's an individual journey that is often wisest taken together with others because the presence of other people will put a test on whether or not you really are listening to the Holy Spirit, whether you really have received the Holy Spirit, or if you're just under a strong delusion. And 
personally, it appears to me that most people are under a strong delusion that they've been saved, that they've received the Holy Spirit, and uh, they have it. And one of the reasons they get away with thinking that is they don't actually read all of John 3, which is what we did this morning. We went through reading, you know, the rest of John 3 and trying to understand uh, what they were telling us about. And and this idea of born again, we mentioned the Akkadians and the Sumerians, and they had written in their cuneiform uh, tablets about being born again, and they used a particular word uh, that was related to this idea of being born again. And uh, in the in the form it's ama argi, and uh, and of course that's composed of more than one word, but and also the cuneiform letters, which is not really like Hebrew, but there is certain. You know, we've talked about it before. Hebrew ha- is a language like uh, uh, a little bit like the idiomatic uh, languages of Japanese and Chinese, where they're drawing pictures to represent uh, words. And of course, you know, if you're going to draw a word that, or a picture that means a mountain, you draw a little. You know, there's a mountain. You know. And uh, that's it. If it's an island, uh, you might put a bird in it because there were always birds around islands. There might not always be animals on it, but there were always birds around them, it seemed like. Even uh, islands that have no other animals on them whatsoever, the birds like to go to those islands and nest because they don't have foxes and and other animals that will come around and eat them. But, of course... Uh, if birds are there, there will be some birds that will eat their eggs and eat their young. And so they, there's always this uh, contention and conflict in nature that makes things stronger. I mean, birds fly because they flee. Uh, they flee the danger. And uh, we have to be born again because the greatest danger to us is spiritual danger because we have... In the beginning, uh, God molded us and breathed the spirit of life into us and told us to continue eating of the tree of life. And But the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there also, and we could eat of that, but if we ate of that, we would surely die. Die to what? Die to the spirit of life, to the tree of life. And of course, that's what happened, because Adam and Eve didn't just die. They uh, they continued to live, but they were now subject to death because they didn't have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, we talked about that and being born again, and and I mentioned uh, because there was uh, reference in the uh, uh, text to uh, Jesus going to another place and uh, talked about. Uh, in verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, in reading the Greek, that sounds like Jesus was baptizing. But, you know, if you go up to John 4 and you read in that, and this is what I've also been taught, that, uh, that, uh, in John 4, 
Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of where exactly that was. Is it 4-2? Uh, I might have to go look that up because I can't always remember that. I'm not a good for remembering the, uh, the Bible by the numbers. Uh, there's certain numbers that I do remember all the time because of constant repetition, but I don't think in numbers. I think in, even, I don't even think in words. I think in concepts. And so, uh, there's another part of my brain that has to use the words. So, I have a little bit of trouble with, uh, remembering all the numbers. But, anyway, I thought I'd find it by now because, you know, this is, uh, should have appeared. But the internet's working really slow here. Which is common for us. There was a huge dust storm. As a matter of fact, I was, from 10 o'clock on, my wife had taken the sheep out, but uh, then I went out there, and I was out there from 10 to about 2.30, and when I finally come rushing back here and set up the program, and uh, added to those web pages. But if you if you read in John 4, it says, when therefore, and I'm going to read straight from the Greek. I'm looking at the Greek. I'm not going to pronounce the Greek. That would be terrible. But if you took the words in the Greek, it says, When therefore knew Jesus that heard the Pharisees that Jesus more disciples make and baptizes than John. In other words, basically what they're talking about there. And they, and they take that word baptize in the, in the Greek and it's emphasized. But, uh, they're saying that uh Jesus uh more the disciples makes and baptizes. It's not just John that baptizes. So this is what they start talking about. But you'll find in the text uh, in the different um uh, because it, at preparing you we have all the 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 Bible and uh, you can and we have studies attached to a lot of the different uh, chapters of the Bible. And that's why I'm a- adding to this constantly, uh, so that we will have this resource so you can go and see these things without the biasness and prejudice of the modern church. Because the modern church is in apostasy. And I have a new page. It's not really a new page, but I've really added to it called Apostasy, also at Preparing You. And... uh then, of course, I had to go and add to the page on religion because that's what you're in is the apostasy of religion. But anyway, in verse 2, which now I'm on the Preparing You site, we don't even have a site panel. I need to go through that too. should do John because there's so much in John that is different than the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's reasons for that, uh, which would get me burned at the stake if I told you. But... Uh, and I have mentioned it, but you'll just have to go through some of the six to nine hundred to a thousand different recordings to find it out. But in that particular verse is seen, most of it is seen, or all of it is seen in parentheses, as if it is a footnote put in there by the beloved disciple, who is the author of John. Uh, it doesn't say that John authored it. It actually says in the original text, it says the beloved disciple. And most people 
assume that John was the beloved disciple. Although there's a debate about that even. But it's in parentheses in most of the biblical texts. It's not in parentheses in the Greek. Because they didn't do that kind of thing. (laughs) But anyway, it says, Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So that's like a footnote added in there. And then it goes and says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So, there's a whole doctrine that Jesus never baptized anybody. But, if you understand both the Hebrew mind and and the Greek mind, and the Greek text, there is no reason to believe that Jesus never baptized anyone based on that, even if it wasn't just a footnote. Because of what I just read to you from the original Greek. Uh, Taking the original Greek order and how it, it is put together from the Greek language. I didn't actually read the Greek. You wouldn't understand it anyway. It'd all be Greek to you. But anyway, uh, in verse 1, the way we see it translated is, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, then they add this, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples Okay, what's a disciple? A disciple is a student. And John baptized disciples. His disciples baptized other people. Everybody who was a follower of John was not baptized by John. We even see later on when Paul is visiting Ephesus, he comes upon disciples of John who have a school there and are teaching people the teachings of John which to us is rather short because we almost know nothing of the teachings of John but we actually if we've seen Jesus we've seen John (laughs) Uh, Jesus was a lot more than John but Jesus was doing the same thing that John was doing basically John's teaching was you don't take care of one another through force. You take care of one another through charity. And in that process, you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because taking care of one another through charity is a righteous activity. But taking care of one another through force is an unrighteous activity. And John was, everybody else was doing it by force. Uh, they were doing it by force in Ephesus. They were doing it by force in Corinth. Where They were doing it by force in, in Galatia. They were doing it by force in Rome. They were doing it by force in the Pharisees. But G, John comes along and says, no, we're going to do it by charity. That's not really new. But it was new to those guys because they were all using force. The truth is... And this is important. If you're born again, you will receive this. If you don't receive this, you're not born again. (laughs) So, it doesn't mean you can't become born again. It just means you're not born again right now. And what you need to receive is that if you're taking care of one another through forced offerings, through the Corbin of the Pharisees, through the Corbin of Rome, through the Corbin of the Pharaoh, the sacrifice 
that he required, which was 20% of your labor, you're, you're doing evil. You're engaged in covetous practices that will entangle you in the bondage of Egypt, make you merchandise, curse your children with debt. And so therefore you're doing evil because coveting your neighbor's goods is evil. It is an evil deed to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or use men who exercise authority one over the other to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's evil. It's slothful if you're just, you know, too lazy to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through charity, then you're slothful. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the slothful shall be under tribute. And if you're back in the bondage of Egypt again, you're under tribute. And we talked about this in the two hours this morning, is that everybody in the United States, all the citizens of the United States that have a Social Security number and are paying into the Social Security system and paying income tax, which is a percentage of your labor, the income tax under the pharaoh was 20%. 20% of your labor belonged to the government. If you're in a system, whether you're in Santa Domingo with a Sessula card or in Canada with a social insurance number or you're in England with a national insurance number or you're in the United States with a social security number, all of which are linked by treaties, international treaties, all over the world. Australia, I don't know what the Australians call it. I've heard before, because we have people in Australia, if, you, if you're if you in Australia listening to this, get a hold of us, join the network, go to Preparing You, join the network, and start joining congregations there in Australia. If you're in South Africa, start joining congregations in South Africa. Because Christ commanded that we do that. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and network together, and thank God that we did that in the early church, because lo and behold... There were famines, there was runaway inflation, there were uh, supply line interruptions where people were not getting enough to eat, they were not getting enough uh, things. Tent making became real popular because people couldn't even live in their houses (laughs) because they had to move to another location. They couldn't take their house with them. I mean, it got bad. But thank heavens... Christians sat down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and had a network of charity to help one another out, which we see Paul doing with Barnabas, with Timothy, going about providing international relief for Galatians, Corinthians, people at Ephesus. What is that? Ephesonians? (laughs) The people of Ephesus, the Greeks and and actually, this network went all the way to Great Britain, had lots of ties in Great Britain. And back to, that's what they needed to do. Uh, and that these were, the, the aid that he was bringing were the gifts of God brought to you by the love of your fellow Christians who created a voluntary society of faith, hope, and charity as opposed to the society of legal charity created by people like Herod and the Pharisees and 
Augustus Caesar and uh, and uh, Nero and all these guys and Marcus Aurelius uh, who were taking care of the needy of their society through forced offerings. And this was the Christian conflict. And we have an article on that. Look up Christian conflict at Preparing You and you can read that whole article. So anyway, the the point is is that I'm not sure that Jesus did not baptize some of his disciples. But what they were concerned with, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing more than even John. And then they put in this like almost footnote, somebody put it in, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. They're talking about in relationship to this baptizing everybody who were sitting down in these congregations of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Baptizing everybody at Pentecost. Jesus wasn't baptizing the average guy, but there's no reason to believe that he did not baptize some of his disciples. We know he washed their feet. We know that they required, he required that he wash their feet. Because he was teaching them humility. And so he was baptizing at least their feet. But that was again a ritual ceremony. John baptized Jesus. And yet John says, you don't need baptism. No, but he wanted all things to be done according to Hoyle. So now what is Hoyle? (laughs) What is, what was all this about? Because you could go to the temple that Caiaphas said he was the high priest of, that golden temple built by Herod through his system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect, you could go there and get baptized too. And then you would be a member of that temple. You would be registered with that temple. You would now have to pay in. Your Corbin, your sacrifice, would be required of you. And guys would come by to your place of work and see... Did you catch a bunch of fish? Did you grow a bunch of grain? Did you make a bunch of uh, olive oil? They get a share. They would even count the branches on your Cummins plants. So you could get that baptism too. So I believe that this verse is put in there uh, so that you would understand that they were creating a network. If Jesus baptized everybody, it's just one big, huge, giant conglomeration. But no, he baptized his disciples. He called them out. And he he saw that it was important that he was baptized by John the Baptist. There's no reason to believe that he didn't also baptize the apostles. The original. And maybe even the 70. But then after that, then those people in turn baptized the people of the congregations. Now, whether you believe that one way or the other, it's not important. I have had two people uh, contact me recently. I remember what one was asking about. He was worried about Jesus. How many days was he in the tomb? He was supposed to be in the tomb for three days. But if he went in on Friday night, and then it was Sabbath, and then he arose Sunday morning before it was even dawn, then that's not three days. You know, that's only so many hours. It's not 72 hours. Well, see, people are straining at gnats. 
I mean, this particular guy, I don't know if he'll hear this program. I, I've been trying to put together a letter to him. He's actually in prison now. And he's worried about this? You're worried about those three days? Jesus was in the tomb on Friday. I, I mean, I could be partly wrong because of the fact that we're not sure exactly what day Jesus was crucified on. Most people assume that it was on Friday, just before the Sabbath. And they wanted him off the cross before the Sabbath, and the Sabbath would start at sundown. And so they wanted him off the off the cross. The point that I was going to make is that the there were a number of calendars around. The Essenes used a solar calendar for some things. They used a lunar calendar, usually for marking feasts. But they also used a sidereal calendar for navigation. They had all three calendars in operation at any given time. Because the sidereal calendar was very important for navigation. And the solar calendar is very important for seasons. And for planting, etc. But for festivals, the lunar calendar was important. Because that was all hovering around. They wanted to end up with a full moon at the festival. Because they didn't have any street lights and flashlights. It's simple. It's not complicated. But people make religions out of these things. And start worrying about, you know, was it three days? Was it two and a half days? No. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's three days. And he says, well, wait a minute. The, you know, uh, Mary took off and it wasn't dawn yet. It was dark when she left. But when she got to the tomb, the stone was already rolled back and Jesus was gone. Well, the guards were gone too. How far was Mary? She left in the dark. But by the time she got there, there's no reason to believe that the sun wasn't up. <laughs> so when she left, the tomb was still shut. But by the time she got there, it was open. And then, like I say, are you going to count the day from the from sundown or from sun up? What when does the Sabbath start? Well, usually it would start the Sabbath would start Friday night. That's the way most guys would do it. But we're not counting days. Just like we explained this morning that Sabbath has nothing to do with counting days. Sabbath has to do with working first. Keeping it holy requires that you work first, you earn your rest, and then you take your rest. You don't take your rest and then you owe six days of work. Because debt is bondage. And the Sabbath is about staying out of debt. That's really what the message is. The same as uh, honoring your father and mother has to do with being the social security of your father and mother, taking care of your father and your mother, fattening your father and your mother. Because the word to honor there actually means to fatten, to provide for. So anyway, I just took that little side trip so that we would realize what's important here. And what's important is that most people who think they're born again are still doing evil. <laughs> they're, they're still workers of iniquity. Jesus talks about being workers of iniquity. That that's a bad thing. That you don't want to be workers of iniquity. So that's why I say you don't read John uh, born again, the first part, or the part about uh, you know believing in Jesus. 
and that you might be saved. And if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. Well, if you read John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, a lot of people don't understand all the things that I've been talking about. About, you know, these, you know, what the text actually says. But the reality is, everybody in America, everybody in Australia, everybody in Venezuela, everybody in Great Britain, uh, for the most part, there might be some exceptions. You know, somebody might have been hidden in the bulrushes and they never got a number. <laughs> but everybody else, if your parents got you the number and then took the benefits, you're signed up. You're in. You're now, debt binds you just like Israel was bound for 400 years in the bondage of Egypt. You're bound in the bondage of Egypt. Now you owe Caesar a portion of your labor, whatever he, he's calculating it up now. I mean, Joseph didn't make the deal for you. FDR did. And, of course, they've been altering the deal ever since. <laughs> and, of course, it's written right in the deal that they, they, you know, do you have any idea how much they can alter the deal? I mean, you have Social Security tax and for other purposes. What Basically, you waived the right to a portion of your labor and they add up the Social Security tax, plus they also add up the income tax because you have that Social Security number. That's your employee identification number. So now somebody with an employer identification number is going to extract 10%, 20%, 30% of your labor. Now, right off the top, they take some some percent for Social Security out of your wages. Then they say, well, this is what you pay. But I also have to pay 7.5% or 7, whatever it is, percent. So altogether, you pay 14%. Because he's not, your employer's not taking that out of his pocket. He's taking it out of what he can afford to pay you. You're not going to get 14% of your labor right off the top. That's going to go away to Social Security. Plus, maybe 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%. And like I said when I was a little boy and I asked my dad who he worked for, he says, until July 1st, I worked for the government. And that was because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. Because of Social Security and the 50% income tax bracket, he was actually working well <laughs> into August before he was working for himself. Because overall, he paid way more than 50%. Uh, taxes back then. And then there's property tax, gas tax, sales tax, all those other things. So we pay way more than they paid when they were in the bondage of Egypt. And you're back in the bondage of Egypt. And you're back in the bondage of Egypt because of your covetous practices. Because Peter said, through covetous practices, you would be made merchandise. And we talked this morning, and it's the, it's on the pages for John 3, if you go look at that. And I should put in some more links because I have all kinds of articles on this. Is that this idea of the state and the temple. That's church and state. Well, in the kingdom of God, the individual is the state. Because the individual, when he makes $100, the whole $100 is his. 
his labor belongs to him. If he builds something, it's his. If he grows something, it's his. But in order to maintain a free society like that, he has to love his neighbor as himself. So he's going to have to share with his neighbor, not just every day, not with his lazy neighbor, but with his hard-working, industrious, moral neighbor. If his neighbor falls on hard times, he has to help him out because he has to care about his neighbor and his neighbor's children and his neighbor's family. He has to care about them as much as he cares about himself. This this is essential if the Holy Spirit is going to come unto him. And so, anyway, if we, if you go read the John 3 page, I cover all this stuff. But if you go read the Born Again page, I added some more stuff there. So, like I said, in John 19, he talks about because their deeds were evil. In verse 20, he says, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. So, if you hated the light, you're not born again of the Spirit. You may have had some sort of emotional experience, but you're not born again of the Spirit. So, do you hate the light? No, no, I love the light, you say. Do you accept the idea that you're back in the bondage of Egypt? And you're back in the bondage of Egypt because somebody was coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of a government that exercised authority one over the other. Either your parents or your grandparents were coveting your neighbor's goods. Now, I know a lot of you have not been coveting your neighbor's goods. I wouldn't say a lot, but there are those of you out there who, they they pay the tax. They signed up because they were literally cunningly coerced into waiving their rights because they wanted to do what they genuinely believed was the law. And maybe their parents sold them into bondage. I mean, when you were, in the old days, you could be sold into an apprenticeship. Benjamin Franklin was sold into an apprenticeship with his own brother. Now, that meant that he was going to have to work for his brother at a very reduced rate. And his brother would teach him how to be a printer. And so he he agreed to that because he started the apprenticeship. You know, I don't know who made the original deal he, he did or his dad did or something, but th- it could have been somebody who wasn't his family. And they agreed to teach you a trade, but you had to work for him for a period of time because he's going to give you the value of the knowledge of that trade. Well, most people don't know this. Ben Franklin ran out on his apprenticeship. Because he was a fast learner, he learned how to print, and you know, poor Richard, poor Benjamin Franklin's brother. <laughs> I don't know, maybe his name was Richard. I can't remember. But uh, the fact is, is that that was not an honorable thing to do. He should have finished his apprenticeship and then gone off and started his uh, apprenticeship. But I don't know, maybe his brother was too mean to him. But anyway, he he left. I think he had like just a few pennies in his pocket. When he crossed the, it was a bay there, or a river, I don't know, it was Potomac or wherever he crossed. And, and uh, he paid for three loaves of bread for a penny. <laughs> I remember that in the story. And I thought, well, bread's gone up from then. There's probably better bread back then. But anyway, 
that was not a good thing to do. But you can be sold into a temporary bondage by your parents. Uh, and that bondage may become more than temporary if there's debt involved. I don't know if Benjamin Franklin ever paid his brother back for doing him the dirty of, of leaving in the middle of his apprenticeship after he had received that valuable training because that would be stealing. But the fact is, is you're back in the bondage of Egypt however you got there. And you owe a portion of your labor to the modern-day pharaohs, who are the presidents of the United States and the Federal Reserve and all these guys that are the high priests and priests of your and and rulers of the your nation, whether you know you're in Australia or whatever. But you're back in that bondage because you've been doing the deeds of evil. You've been biting your neighbor and coveting your neighbor's goods and not keeping the Sabbath because you went into debt. Because you got all these benefits. I mean, Social Security has been in debt from the beginning. It's never been out of debt. It's never been solvent. We've explained that many, many times. If you don't believe that, go read our article on it. It shows you that it's always been in debt. Because there is no division of funds. So if you're not willing to accept that, you love the darkness. You don't want to see the truth. You don't want to see the light of the truth. And so therefore you're not saved. And you know you're not saved because you don't love the light. And you, you really can't argue against what I'm saying. It's just a fact. If they owe 20% of their labor to the government, and we call that the bondage of Egypt, and you owe 20% or more of your labor to the government, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You return to where God said never to go back to. And we know that you're back there because of the fact that you had to join in order to get benefits. Your parents did. And they, I mean, Israel went into bondage in Egypt under Joseph. 400 years later, the kids were all still in the bondage of Egypt. So you're still in the bondage of Egypt. So how do you get out? And we talked about that this morning. But let's read verse 21. But he that doeth Truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So that's why you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. So that your deeds become not the deeds of the Nicolaitans, who are the conquered people, who are back in the bondage of Egypt again, who have done the error of Balaam, who have been greedy for gain. But now you're on this other road. And it's a narrow road. Because we know that the, the road to the kingdom of God is narrow. But the road to the destruction is wide. And your parents sent you down that road to destruction. Now they gave you... I'm not counting your parents out. I'm not condemning them. I'm just, I'm just reporting historical facts here. Those dark deeds would include but are not limited to coveting your neighbor's goods through desiring benefits like the wages of unrighteousness from men ruling in government who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Now, that, I put that together in one paragraph. Now, I've expounded upon that. Those evil, evil deeds would include sloth as well. What sloth? Well, you didn't sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about somebody else other than your family. That's sloth. 
You're not seeking the kingdom. You're saying, well, I'm just going to do my thing and take care of my family and the heck with these other guys because I don't think anybody's as good as me. Well, probably nobody is as good as you, but you can't just help people that are, people that are better than you. They probably don't need your help either. <laughs> you need to help. Because, I mean, Christ came to help and that's the spirit of what you need to be doing. So, you've been slothful in caring for one another. Because you didn't do what Christ commanded. You've been slothful in the practice of pure religion. Which is taking care of all the widows and orphans in your congregation. Unspotted by the world. Being no help from the governments of the world who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people. And put you into debt, etc. So, like I said in verse 19, we are informed that if we love him, we will love the light and the truth. That he shared in the truth that I just shared with you about your present status. How do we know if we love the light and not the darkness? Do we love the truth even about ourselves? Can we accept the truth about our entanglement in the elements of the world? Elements in world there are links to other articles. Entanglement... uh I think there's an article on Entangled, but I'll find it and make it a live link for you to go to that article. I mean, there's so many articles in here. We will know if we love the light because their deeds will be evil if we don't. See, I just wrote this. I just was typing it madly as we were coming into the program. We would be workers of iniquity. And, of course, we are workers of iniquity because... We've created this whole system of social welfare based on force, not based on charity. Just a hundred years ago in America, most of the welfare of the needy of society was taken care of by charitable means, by churches. And then 90 years ago, almost to the year, uh... FDR said, no, let's do it through men who exercise authority. (laughs) And everybody said, yeah, we'll do that. Well, you went back into the bondage of Egypt. And LBJ just made it worse. And Obama made it worse. And and, uh, Bill Clinton made it pretty dang bad as well. But now Biden is just absolutely, well, even Trump, stimulus checks. That's That was crazy. That was insane. But it's part of somebody's plan. Now, I don't know if it was Trump's plan originally, and I'm not condemning anybody. I won't say bad. But the plan is bad. We're talking about the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You've become more and more... You've become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. And this has degenerated you as a society. If you want to reverse that process... You have to do what, you know, that that verse is telling us to do. Verse 21. So that you come to the light. You have to reverse that. So, do we like the wages of unrighteousness, those benefits? Do we bite one another to get those benefits? Do we covet our neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority? Now, here's another one. Will we forgive? 
so that we may be forgiven. A lot of people says, well, I paid in. I want to get mine back. No, you have to forgive that debt. You say, just, you keep it. We're going to gather together in another. Now, you may not be able to have as nice a house. You may have to downsize. You may have to cut back. But better to cut back now because everybody's going to cut back pretty soon. So basically what I was trying to get apart to you, uh, impart to you is this, that you're back in the Corbin of the Pharisees. You're back to making the word of God to none effect because you're back to a system of forced offerings to take care of the needy of your society, which is not pure religion. Uh, one other little footnote about this baptism thing. Um, I, I was looking here at the... Yeah, I even have some of this stuff from that I included on John 3. I have it on this page. Back to the idea of the Akkadians and Sumerians and everything. But uh, I'm going to have to read over this. I'll probably do it at midnight. <laughs> or when I'm out in the desert on my phone. But don't fall prey to this idea that if I keep the Sabbath, everything will be okay. Because you don't even know how to keep the Sabbath. Don't fall prey to, oh, I have to get water baptism. No, you have to get the, you have to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you get these things, you know, the baptism of water was the birth of water. The baptism of John is just, just, just water. It's an outward sign. When they got the baptism of John, they were going to start seeking the kingdom of God by setting up this network of charity and this community that operated by faith, hope, and charity. The Essenes, especially the Nazarene Essenes, were already doing this by that time. And that's what they were trying to do. And that's what the disciples of John the Baptist were teaching people in Ephesus when Paul showed up. They didn't even know about Jesus. They evidently weren't sending epistles back and forth because they hadn't heard about Jesus. But they heard about him from Paul and Paul ended up staying there and teaching at the school. There's a lot to learn on how the kingdom of God works. There's a lot of skills to develop in order to function as this voluntary society of faith, hope, and charity. And you have to create the bonds, the bands of a free society by daily ministrations of pure religion. And people haven't been doing this. People, they get, they get upset that somebody did something that they think they shouldn't have done based on the knowledge in their head. Holy Spirit didn't tell them that. This is just their head knowledge. And so they break off all ties with the congregations and networks. If you were doing that back in the old days in Israel, the Philistines would have won way earlier. <laughs> they would have destroyed you way earlier. Because you abandon ship. You abandon your community. You abandon your congregation because you have this little agreement, disagreement. Because you're not good at forgiveness. You're full of anger. 
And it doesn't do any good that if you do everything else right and keep your Sabbath and all these other things and you still have this anger for your brother because he didn't do it the way you thought it ought to be done. Because you're full of judgment and unforgiveness. Let's stop that. You can't do that raising kids. You have to forgive your kids. You may double down on the discipline, but you have to forgive your kids. And we have to forgive one another. So forgiveness, humility, sacrifice, all these things that Jesus is teaching us are essential for creating and maintaining a voluntary society. And that's what we should be doing. So like I read this morning, redemption is the deliverance from a power of an alien dominion and the enjoyment of the resulting freedom. It involves the idea of restoration to one who possesses a more fundamental right or interest. The best example of redemption in the Old Testament was the deliverance of the children of Israel from the bondage, that's the bondage of Egypt, from the dominion of an alien power in Egypt. Well, in the New Testament, the best example is the baptism of Jesus Christ administered by his disciples to thousands of men one day, thousands of men the second day at Pentecost, all of whom were kicked out of the social welfare system set up by the government of the Pharisees and Herod. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the uh, Ama Argi, the, the freedom? The being born again? The getting a new identity in Christ? Are you ready for that? I doubt it. But you can get ready by sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it is to care about others, forgive others, provide for others. Then God will hear your... Because you're hearing the cries of others, God will hear your cries. Because you're hearing the prayers of others, God will hear your prayers. And freedom will be the end results. But you only obtain freedom by living by the perfect law of liberty. By allowing others the right to choose. You will reobtain the right to choose. And, and revert back to that more fundamental right or interest. And, and God will protect you. Right now... All over the world, people have gone back into this bondage of Egypt. Does that mean we're in bondage to Mr. Biden? Are we in bondage to, you know, the other leaders of the world? The other leaders of the world are all in debt as well. So is it the traveling merchants of the earth, the, the Class A stockholders of the Federal Reserve Bank? Are we in bondage to them? Are they in bondage to somebody? Who is behind all this stuff, this great reset? Is it Klaus Schwab? Are we all in bondage to Klaus Schwab? Are we in bondage to another alien dominion? To the synagogue of Satan? Well, if you are, you need to repent. There is no salvation except through Christ. What Christ told us, the anointing of the Spirit of Christ. 
And you have to be born again of the Spirit. So you have to be willing to see that you're back into this bondage again. So, anyway, I do have these other pages that we're not going to be able to get to because we don't have enough time. We're uh, only got a little bit of time left. Really, everybody, everybody listening to this should go to preparing you, preparing, all one word, Y-O-U, and go to the network links and sign up in whatever geographical location is listed there. We list every place in the world. I mean, they're big areas, but if we get so many people, we'll, we'll divide those groups. But basically, those email groups are just to give you the opportunity of sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start preparing for freedom in hopes that you survive freedom when it comes. Because right now you don't have the skills of freedom. And we know that the, if you're willing to see that you're back into the bondage, a lot of people think, well, no, I, I filed the uh, separation papers and so therefore I'm not in bondage anymore. I'm a free man in Christ. If you're not, if you don't have a daily ministration that takes care of all the welfare of a needy of your society that includes a society that goes beyond your own national borders, then you're not free. You're deluded. And because there's no way you're going to be free. You're just, you just faking it. If you don't conform to what Christ taught, you're going to be on your own. You need to turn around and go the other way. And uh, there was another page here that I started. Oh, the real Jesus. I'm, every day, you know, I usually get up at four o'clock. Sometimes I sleep in to five. <laughs> but it's pretty dark until six. <laughs> and I work writing on these different pages. Some people go and, and look and see what I added every day. But it isn't about me. I'm adding these pages. I'm casting this bread upon the waters. I, it is good that you go to the website and start learning these things. And like I said this morning, I briefly mentioned it. I haven't seen a lot of volunteers where people, there's a way in which you can go to the pages and create a PDF file of a given page. And if we get all the kinks out, and we'll never get them all out, but we get different ones that we've been putting years and years and years into developing these study plans. We can take the ones that we think are pretty well consolidated and turn them into these and then start putting them up on other pages. You'll, you'll find my writings all over the internet because people copy them. Sometimes they leave my name on them. Sometimes they put their name on them. But the truth is the truth, however it gets out. But you don't want to, you don't want to plagiarize somebody else. That's, it's not good for you. It's not going to hurt me any. Because we give all this away for free. But you need to understand how a free society works. And you're not in one now. All your social welfare is provided by men who exercise authority and take away a portion of your labor every single day. And you can shake your fist at him all you want, but you were brought back into the bondage 
of Egypt because of your covetous practices and the practices of your parents. And I'm not trying to point blame at anybody. But if you're not willing to see the truth, if you're not willing, how can you say you love the light? If you love Christ, you'll keep his commandments. You're in this situation today because somebody has not been keeping the commandments. And you need to repent of that. Turn around and go the other way. Because you're back in that bondage again. And the churches have delivered you there. And the home churches are no better. I I joined the home churches because essentially the first century church was ten families. First century synagogue. Second century or the B.C. synagogue. I mean, synagogues were ten families. And they picked a minister and he connected them with ten other con- or nine other congregations. And that was a way in which to network a society, a free society together. And that's what we should be doing. But unfortunately, people are not doing it, but they think they're saved. They think they're Christians. You know, Augustus Caesar, this is written in the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Augustus Caesar was sensible that mankind is governed by names in his mind. Because in his mind is where he creates his idols. He's created a Jesus in his mind that isn't the real Jesus. But he, he says was sensible that mankind is governed by names, nor was he deceived in his expectations that the Senate and people would submit to slavery provided they were respectfully assured that they still enjoyed their ancient freedoms. Now, Edward... Gibbons wrote that before the American Revolutionary War. And that was the decline. And that's where we're at today. We're seeing the decline and fall of America. The the whole world. The, the Great Reset is going to bring destruction. And bring people under an alien power. And so we need to repent in order to be saved from that. And go the way of Christ. But we're out of time. So we're going to have to uh, end the show. But join the network. And and until then, uh, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. See you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.